You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 129, and we are so excited to be joined by the crew from the Reshoot Podcast. We are joined by Ruthie, Hector, and Eduardo. And have you ever seen a movie and felt like it was missing something? Well, they do. And on the Reshoot Podcast, join them as they take movies they enjoy and some they don't and fix them up a little. So they've been podcasting for three years and they have quite a catalog. So I encourage everyone to go over to your favorite podcast platform and check out the Reshoot Podcast. So welcome, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, so we are going to be talking about the 1982 Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott, who also brought us Thelma and Louise, The Gladiator, and The Martian in 2015. It stars Harrison Ford, Rudger Hauer, Sean Young, Edward James Olmos, Daryl Hannah, Brian James, Joanna Cassidy, and James Hong. The DP is Jordan Chenoweth, I wonder if any relation, don't know. Mm-hmm. Altered, he brought us Altered States in 1980, and Peggy Sue got married in 86. It was filmed largely in Los Angeles and a little bit in England. The writer is Hampton Fancher, I think, and he also did the Blade Runner of or Blade Runner 2049. The David Webb is credited as writer who did Unforgiven in 92 and 12 Monkeys in 95. And Philip K. Dick um, is also credited as writer. And he brought us Minority Report in 2002 and Total Recall in 1990. The synopsis for this film is a Blade Runner must pursue and terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to Earth to find their creator. Two taglines... Man has made his match. Now it's his problem. Not bad. (laughs) And a chilling, bold, mesmerizing, futuristic detective thriller. Pretty much. Yeah. Just kind of describes it. It's a little much. (laughs) Weirdly enough, sounds generic for such a while. Right? Yeah. Just like. I don't know. There's so much there. It's almost a nothing burger. Mm -hmm. In a little bit of research that I did, Ridley Scott said that this, he regards this movie as probably his most personal and his most complete movie. So Mike, why don't you kick us off with the pickup line and then we'll dive into some cinematography and writing. Come in. That's it. That's it. Holden says that to uh, one of the replicants come in. Yeah. It doesn't hold up my theory. What did you like about the cinematography of this film? My, the cinematography in this movie is something that like, I don't think anything really comes close other than the sequel, obviously, with just it's it's dark, but it's vibrant. The lighting is almost always perfect, in my opinion, especially like and it seems practical because there's there's like the the reflections on the characters faces like it makes sense with their surroundings so there isn't a lot of green screen or uh, it's an 80s movie but still like that's the thing that uh Denis Villeneuve did with the new dune movie he put sand screen so that the reflections be the color of the sand i also love that the, that the cinematographer takes his time with each shot and each transition and holds stills and static shots for a little bit longer than you would expect but it never feels like it's out of place or without 
intention. There's always something about it, either to take in the scenery to be more immersed in the world or to just see what the life kind of is like for the people down at the very bottom, uh, especially those tracking shots. And uh, when he's talking to Zora, you get, you get a lot of people just walking around and living their life and all of that. It's, yeah, one, one of... It is my probably second favorite film ever, so there's a lot I love about this movie. So they did a thing where they put this uh, light in the replicant's eyes. Yes. And they also did it with the owl. And so my question was, how do they get the owl to hold still? (laughs) Uh, That's very nicely. I think... Okay, I don't know how they got the owl to hold still, but owls do have that kind of reflective pupil either way. So if they just have the right light and the right angle, it'll show up. Oh. Dangle a mouse behind the camera up. <laughs> uh, that could work, yeah. How about you, Hector? Man, I'm going to sound like such a like amateur compared to Ed here. We are uh, an amateur's guide to good or film. That is yeah. true. I just like the griminess of the... Like, the way it looks. Like, I like it when films look grimy. I most movies now are not sound too hipster are like sometimes too clean everything's too pristine and too nice so it's kind of see everything just kind of get dirty and grimy and just kind of like gross it's it's fun how about you ruthie it's funny maybe i'm wrong but didn't ridley scott direct alien Yes. So Alien is my favorite one of his movies. And this one, I don't think it is one of my favorite favorites, but it did like just remind me of why I like Alien so much. And it's kind of like what Ed was saying, this kind of sense that you're not looking at all that this world has to offer. This is only a fraction of it. Like people live here, like looking at Alien, you're only seeing like a truck like a space truck. You're only seeing the Nostromo. You're not seeing the rest of the world, but you feel like you're seeing the whole world just through the way that the Nostromo, the crew kind of interact with each other. It's funny because like, as I'm watching this, I've seen it twice now, but so much of the media I really enjoy has been inspired by Blade Runner. Like Hector and I've played uh, Cyberpunk 2077, right? You can see the inspiration in Cowboy Bebop, which came out 98, the year I was born. What's some other ones? No, I can't remember any. But uh, (laughs) I, I just started playing Cyberpunk 2077 and I definitely see it especially being down at the right? at the street level yeah it's your classic noir it's oh, got yeah. the harsh shadows like most of the time half of his face is dark and half is mm-hmm. well lit because it's got the one light source i even there was a scene i can't remember a couple times it happens he walks in and the light is coming through mini blinds and so he's got mm-hmm. the lines across his face that are created from the shadow it's raining which is hilarious that mm-hmm. it takes place largely in la but it's <laughs> raining almost throughout the whole movie so it just it's a classic noir are the fog right. machines. I think you you mentioned yeah, there's a dame that comes in yeah. like yeah Roger Deakins who said that you'll never see a film in Hollywood where it's raining and it's daytime and the reason is because you can't see the rain it's kind of wasted so a film like this which is dark to begin with is perfect for that and it's kind of like Ruthie said it established a genre right at the time cyberpunk was huge in science fiction in the early 80s and I I think this and probably uh, like uh, William Gibson's Johnny Mnemonic series are the two things that really cemented what what was considered the aesthetic of cyberpunk. Yeah, it's kind of this uh, retro-futurism. Right, yeah. yeah. 
very iconic. Everything's I love it. analog instead of digital. It, it that I think that just making everything analog kind of is like the secret to for the feel of it. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you start digital and touch screens, you lose it. It has to yeah. always be analog. That's, that's why. That's the one thing I haven't liked about Cyberpunk 2077 right now. Oh, it went digital? There's a lot of digital stuff, especially the calling, since it's just like over their eyelids kind of stuff. But I do like the little like shit chips they put in there. It gets more analog as you keep going, but they had to digitize it somewhat. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny when, so the film came out in 1982 and the opening title card is LA in 2018. And just go, okay, for them, this was so futuristic and for us, it was four years ago when (laughs) life was a little maybe easier, right? In defense, since we were talking about the LA rain, uh, this year there was this huge deluge of rain for like two weeks. So maybe cyberpunk, it was just like... Or, uh, yeah, it's just it, like it, it has the, the, the El Nino yeah. uh, that year, I guess, was not there, so they yeah. so they rained a lot. Also, hasn't the world <laughs> gone like really bad because of like environmental issues in that movie? Yes. And you know the lore. Yes. So that would explain the rain. It probably just messed up yeah, the like everyone's super weather rain. cycle. LA, and it's shown more in the sequel, is kind of like encircled by a wall and there isn't that many cities really like i think the entire midwest of the u.s is just nuclear wasteland because i think there were a lot of nuclear wars as well well i have to say it's not entirely analog because this had the first recorded use that i remember of zoom and enhance and they use siri to do it so it's kind of this mishmash (laughs) he has a lot of zoom and enhance and i'll be honest i have no clue what he's saying how that maps to he just calls out numbers and it does things It's, it's probably coordinates yeah i thought it was like a grid so it's like you know, A, a is like the x-axis, y is, our uh, numbers are the y-axis, so it's like G17. That's my, like it's I, zooming I, in. I, if I'm remembering correctly, he says two numbers. So oh. I think he might just say X, Y, X, like yeah. numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and yeah, when he, when he says like uh, go into this, it shows grid and then it show, goes into the kind of thing. I haven't really like taken the time to see if it kind of matches. If there's like a kind of. Well, th- that's what I was saying. I, I didn't take the time to try to decrypt it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Now I want to. I'll probably do that. Well, I don't know how to, how to sort these out. Right. Well, okay. Let's ask. I, I saw in the trivia that there was a lot of debate on whether Harrison Ford is a replicant or not. Mm-hmm. I've also seen an interview where Ridley says quite clearly. So taking a poll of the room, <laughs> what is all of your opinions if Harrison Ford's character, Deckard, is a replicant? Oh, you're going to have a fight on air here. Okay, <laughs> let's do this. Don't, I'll meet you first. Okay, I'm fine. going last. I'm going last. <laughs> I am the strongest proponent of the group of Deckard is a replicant through and through. There's so much foreshadowing there. So, uh, so many hints. So yeah. many hints. Like the eye, the unicorn dream, then, then there's the, and then his partner always does like animals whenever he's at a replicant's place. So, and it was specifically the unicorn. And like, why would that be such a memory? That's such a weird memory to have, right? So... Exactly. It couldn't really be a memory he had. Could and, be a vision. And I th- also Ty- <laughs> uh, Tyrell was asked. Was it Ty- Tyrell? Right, the name of the corporation. Oh, the, the CEO. Yeah. The CEO. Yeah. yeah. Tyrell. Tyrell. Yeah. He was saying. I think there's a better foreshadowing because there's the scene where he's asking him of how long it takes for a replicant to catch a replicant. But if this replicant 
if Decker's a replicant, then he's just saying, oh, did you catch that you're a replicant too? But because he's really coy about it outside of uh, mm-hmm. Rachel. Right. So yeah. Rachel even asked him, have you ever taken the test yourself? So who's your opponent? Is it Eduardo or Ruthie who... I've... Okay. It, it, <laughs> they're going to say me, but I've changed my mind. <laughs> but I'm going to go last. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Hector. Uh, he kind of... He has, like, all the officials. I'm just going off a of vibe. The vibe is he he's so detached from, like, regular... So, so you switched over... I and what changed your mind? I originally didn't think he was a replicant. I also like I changed my mind, but not to that he's a replicant. My 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 <laughs> this is not the question. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't think it matters if he is or isn't. It, it, and that's like a lot of what the film is like. What it means to be human. Does he feel human to you? Does he act human in any way? He does. And I don't, I don't, like, yes, there's a lot of hints saying to it. Ridley Scott said he's a replicant. I don't care what Ridley Scott says, though. I, I honestly don't think it's even, like, a thing that should be argued. Because it's not, it's not something, it doesn't matter if he is a replicant or if he's not. It just matters if he's human enough, basically. If he feels human, because I mean, what what does it mean to be human? That's like the biggest thing in the film. That's a really good point, because the reason that he stepped away from being a a cop or a detective is because he didn't want to keep killing replicants anymore, Mm -hmm. which that I would associate more with a, a human emotion than a replicant emotion, because they just they were given a task and they would carry it out. So that's a good point, Eduardo. Speaking of that, that Decker doesn't want to kill, kill or keep killing replicants. I, I also watched the sequel after this, and it's a nice little thing where Kay in the beginning, he's asked by Sapper, if you, uh, how does it feel killing your own kind? And he just responds, I don't kill my own kind. My kind don't run. So I don't know. I, th- I feel that's a very telling that Kay is more replicant than Deckard. Yeah, uh, another reason that I think that Deckard is a replicant is Ridley Scott is such a director where he doesn't like to leave anything ambiguous. Like, even the start of this movie, it's like, here's a philosophical debate on what makes a person. I'm going to immediately tell you what I think makes a person a human being. You can have your opinion. It might be wrong. Here's mine. It's right. But it's his opinion. Oh, yeah. No, of course. But he's like... Here, you can have this discussion. This is my answer. This is the right answer. You can have your opinion, though, as a treat. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're very close to a death of an author uh, debate here, which is, I don't think we have the time for that. <laughs> mm. Death of an author. Do you need Turn. me to explain what? Yeah. So with a lot of stories, especially now more modern, since there's this whole like fan, you know, with stories now having like a built in big fan bases that love to dissect media. It's looking at you, Star Wars. <laughs> oh, don't start there. But uh, there is a point where you where it's like, at what point does the author's work or his belief in the story become true and at what point does it make more sense sometimes when like an audience member fixes like a plot hole or like when someone who's a fan kind of like has a better interpretation than even the author right like at what point is the author's say so or the author's 
authority over the story stay, if that makes sense. Mm, that's interesting. Well, and I mentioned there there were three people listed for writer. So I wonder, did one have it for a certain amount of time and they were polishing or were they collaborative? I think with how tight the story is that it was collaborative. And I think Philip K. Dick was in it just to kind of because it's it's not like the book at all. It's very different. And Deckard in the book has a wife. Did you say a life or a wife? Wife. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> wife. <laughs> so is there the sexual tension between Deckard and... I, I, I haven't read the book. I just oh. read like a little bit of like just differences kind of stuff. You brushed up on the wiki page? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. I, yeah, basically. I just, I'm starting to read more now that Reddit is dead, but you know, <laughs> it's, I think Philip K. Dick was there, but obviously he helped write it and probably made it more or kind of guided them in like how he would change the story if it was a film. Because I, I, a lot of books can't be really well made into films and stuff like that. But with how tight the script and the story is and everything, I think it was definitely collaborative writing. If I remember correctly, Philip K. Dick's writings were pretty bonkers. They didn't make a lot of sense. I went through a phase where I tried to read his stuff right around then. And I seem to remember there was very little mapping from the book to the movie. Uh, like the only thing they really borrowed was Deckard as a character and the replicants. Uh, yeah, the premise. Yeah. <laughs> How about the sets? What did you guys think of uh, like even the exterior shots of like all the buildings, but then even the interiors? The miniatures are so good. Uh, yeah, the, the exteriors I thought were fantastic for the era. It was really quite good. It was a lot of miniatures. Uh, the Tyrell Corp pyramid tower thing was all miniature uh there was others i can't remember quite which ones but very very few uh cgi shots well i assume they did the the hover cars as miniatures as well yes i uh, and some, some of it was like superimposed kind of stuff so kind of cgi but not really and the bit with what's his roy and uh, sebastian on the elevator i think that was that same miniature style too Mm. Uh, this is a guest on my end, just right. comics. Oh, yeah. Where you see them elevated from the outside. Yeah, the exterior. Yes, yes that. Yeah. Right. And um, speaking of sets, though, that Bradbury Hotel is like a real landmark in L.A., I think. So my question was, how did they, I mean, obviously could, but just imagine the effort of set dressing it to look derelict and wet. So I was thinking, how do they dump all the water I, in there? I think that was in a set. <laughs> I don't think that was the Bradbury. So, um, I'll just read this little bit of trivia that I found. Sid Mead was originally hired to design vehicles and props. However, his sketches, the, in his sketches, he included backgrounds for contextualized, such as the streets and Deckard's apartment. Ridley Scott was so impressed with his work that he asked him to work on designing the environment for the of this movie as well as painting some of the mats Mead, who was originally supposed to be hired for only a few days stayed on the production for several weeks at a fee of fifteen hundred dollars per day this is probably one of the factors that caused the movie to go over budget <laughs> goals and i thought it was interesting that in terrell's bedroom he it, he had all the candles around because you would never do that in your own bedroom 
Because if you want to then go to sleep, you got tired, you'd have to stand up and spend 10 minutes blowing things out, or you just go to sleep and you die when everything catches fire. <laughs> so or, didn't you ever... or he could just call in one of his replicant servants to put mm. them out. Oh, maybe he had a replicant elephant and he just... <laughs> <laughs> well, Good uh, thinking. I think... There, there's another car- another movie with a very similar vibe to Tyrell, uh, Prometheus, which was also directed by Ridley Scott. I think the scenes with the the father figure who owned the corporation, Wayland. he Wayland, he also had a bedroom that was like that. And I think that's Ridley Scott trying to say like this guy's got a god complex. He's got a huge ego. He's got the ego bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> and Tyrell definitely does have a god complex. A god complex. Yeah. And then, uh, I forget Leto's character in 2049. He's trying to get to that god complex. Or really, Scott has a lot of shares of Yankee Candle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There oh, you go. yeah. See, I thought you were about to imply that Ridley Scott has a god complex, which, <laughs> not, which with his filmography will not surprise me. Yeah, yeah, he's like, what do you mean? This is just my bedroom. I have 50 candles. <laughs> oh, yeah, this isn't Tyrell's bedroom. This is actually my bedroom. I just decided to use it as a set. <laughs> Save a little. Because um, they were over budget. Uh, <laughs> I loved the costumes. They're really seemed more like kind of modern day. There wasn't really anything extravagant except for what was Sean Young's character's name? Rachel. Rachel. Rachel had that, you know, that high collar very queen of hearts. Well she had the crazy beautiful eyeliner. Like the the wings on the eyeliner. Oh yeah. And the flock of seagulls hairdo. Yeah. Right? That was (laughs) Uh, very eighties. Does uh, Deckard's gun count as part of the costume because I thought oh, that yeah. one was yeah. like a really cool design. Yeah. The 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 double the two triggers. Yeah. I don't even know why it has two triggers, but hey, why so, not add a third trigger? You know what? Yeah. Why not? This is America. I always yeah. go to eleven. No, um, has Adam Savage built one of those? Oh, I've, I I would bet I, he did. I would think so. Yeah, right? yeah. I would think yes. Uh, but I, I do want to bring up with yeah. the costumes, like it's very, yeah, it's very like modern kind of stuff. But one of the biggest things that is even in the game cyberpunk is just like these really big, bulky jackets. Right. Because uh, a lot of the, the street kids, uh, especially near the, the hotel where Sebastian lives, they had these really big, bulky jackets that made no sense. It, it was a little cold, I guess, but like still like Deckard's duster was, I, I think that's just like a you know, westerns and stuff kind of thing. Yeah, detective. Like the long raincoat. Well, yeah, with all the rain, you need a raincoat. But yeah, it does look more like a duster than a traditional raincoat. Yes. And we have that good 80s synthesizer to let us know when this film was made. Uh, Not necessarily when it was projected to The score is so good. The score is really good. It really sets up, like, the feel of what it is like to live in the far future 2019 Los Angeles. Yeah. It just just makes it so, like, moody and bleak even i don't know how the synthesizer makes it sound bleak but it does for me at least i think it's a lower pitch but don't quote me on that it 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 is much lower than you would usually hear a synthesizer that is true yeah i like that you guys liked it (laughs) because to me it really it dated it for me it put me more in the 1980s in the past than in what is supposed to be the future 
For me, it kind of just fits in with that uh, retro futurism, like I was talking about yeah. earlier. It's where, like, yeah, this is the future. They can use a synthesizer. They can make it kind of sad and moody and dark <laughs> and noir. Yeah, it's it's kind of. I understand that, like, usually, like, movies that are dated can be can feel bad, like, because I think that's one of the reasons I don't really watch a lot of like classic old older films is because they feel very dated and the acting also is very dated kind of stuff but when it when it comes to like at least the cyberpunk feel of stuff i don't feel i feel like that's so like consistent and so structured all now that with blade runner it doesn't feel like it's dated other than like uh you know, the quality of the camera or just the certain pacings is the only thing that I, for me, feels like it is an older film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I can add to the why it doesn't feel dated, uh, there's been a bit of a one synthwave resurgence and two a cyberpunk resurgence. And I think that's for us, that's maybe why it doesn't feel Possibly. I think by this point, because of Blade Runner just setting the tone of synths and dark futures, now it's just kind of like the default for a lot of media. (laughs) Speaking speaking of of like, yeah, that like it was really jarring playing cyberpunk and having like rap music playing. <laughs> that makes oh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, it makes sense with some context, but they also play a lot of synth later. I, I know, but I just say like at the very beginning, it's just like there's oh, some yeah, rap yeah. music going on. Like this doesn't fit the vibe I want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is there any head trauma in Blade Runner? There's a fair amount of head trauma. So first off, Zora crashes through the glass pane. I'm going to count that. Leon slams Deckard into multiple vehicles and beats on his head. Head trauma. Uh, Rachel shoots Leon in the head. That's pretty traumatic. Roy crushes Terrell's head. And lastly, Pris squeezes and slaps Deckard's head. So there's quite a bit of head trauma here. Is there a Deckard Rachel smooch? Smoochy, smoochy, smoochy. Well, yes, there is. <laughs> and we're going to talk a little bit about that. For, so from oh, our, yeah. our smoochies, he gives her a kiss on the cheek and then on her lips. Roy and Pris attack each other's mouths. It was <laughs> not really sexy. It was there, more there's three, carnivorous. There's three-year-olds. Give yeah. them a break. <laughs> um, Roy kisses Terrell before he kills him. Okay, and then Roy kisses the corpse Pris, which is, again, a little off-putting. And lastly, Deckard also kisses Rachel after returning to his apartment at the end of the film. But the asterisk here is Deckard kisses Rachel after he makes her say, kiss me and I want you. And consent that's forced is not consent. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Just saying. Coercion is not consent. No. Which, that's like... One of the things in the film that, yeah, problematic now. Because I think you brought this up. I'm sorry. But, like, back in the day, uh, <laughs> like, these, these like, cool detectives and, like, with, like, touch of evil and stuff. Like, they, they just, like, kind of, they didn't really force themselves on women. But they were very adamant about it and like the woman didn't really have a say but in those it made it seem more consenting we recently were did howard the duck on our podcast with smash trivia and that was something that we kind of touched on where like there's a scene where howard and the female lead Mm -hmm. 
they're getting a, having a little bit of fun and he's like there's a moment where he's like yeah I'm into it no I'm not into it anymore I'm not into it anymore ah you're you're a human you're a, you're a hairless ape ah oh but now I'm back into it yeah <laughs> yeah rewatching some older movies we kind of get a little squeamish I think was it just recently was it mermaids that Yes, it was mermaids. Yeah, that we were like, mm, this isn't okay. Yeah, that, that was an age difference. It was like a fifteen-year-old with a twenty-six-year-old. Oh, and- so, so like uh, Han Solo and Leia. Because yeah. <laughs> Le- Le- Leia's nineteen and Han, and that is like almost thirty. Yeah. To bring it back to Harrison Ford, right? <laughs> yeah. Again. Wow, I didn't know that Harrison Ford was so non-consensual. <laughs> right. uh, I mean, okay. let's not say that. Let's not say that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Harrison Ford, I think. Wait, okay, wait, wait, wait. Okay. Indiana Jones. Oh, uh, no. Because oh, she's, no. she's, she's like legit underage when they when they first meet. Not in the movie timeline. Okay. Of, it's not oh, Harrison yeah, Ford. It's right. his agent. Yeah. It's his <laughs> yeah. agent. Or the Baby doll. I got another role for you. Or the, the casting pe- the directors, the people. the people. It's Stephanie Meyer all over again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. How about a driving review? Not a whole lot of driving. We talked a little bit about the hover cars. Um, they, they don't actually exist, even in 2019. Actually, now in the year 2023, the uh, FAA, like the Federal uh, Airline Administration, they just approved the first hover car for commercial use. And I want everyone in the listening <laughs> audience to think about putting the idiots you share the road with in an aircraft. Okay, anyway. Um, as long as it's not Washington drivers, we'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> there goes our Washington fans. Yeah. <laughs> we loved you. We barely knew you. But I, I do mention you said, Christy, whilst we were watching it, is that a DeLorean? And I thought, no, that's impossible. The DeLorean wasn't available yet. Not true. 82, the year this came out, is a year that the DeLorean Motor Company actually went out of business. So they would have been able to get a DeLorean quite cheap. So it's possible they they, they grabbed one and then just, you know, put some right glom through. stuff on it and, and made it. But that was it. Not a lot of driving in this one. A lot more flying. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of right. like the autopilot that the cars have. So we go to the numbers. Let's go to the numbers. This movie suffered a little bit at the box office because it opened the same weekend as E.T. and The Thing. So, Oof. yeah. Can you imagine going up against E.T.? I remember going to the theater to watch E.T. Mm-hmm. I didn't even oh, yeah. have a an idea of Blade Runner, although I was. What, it's, 11? Uh, it's good you didn't see the theatrical version. Right. <laughs> when, but when I first watched Blade Runner, I got the version, the theatrical version. And I watched it, and I'm like... I don't know why people think this is so good. And then later on, I read, oh, you should you should watch the final cut because there's like five versions of this movie. I, that's what I was. Um, our son was talking about that. So we rented it on Amazon Prime. So which is, should only that's the final cut. That's the final that's cut. the only okay. one I've yeah. ever seen. Yeah. Now, nowadays, it's pretty hard to find anything that is not the final cut. Okay. Yeah. But the theatrical version had narration. By Harrison Ford, because it because the studio meddled and there's like they're like watch the f- original cut. It's like what is this? Like this is a Noir movie, right? Suppo- he's supposed to be narrating because that's what like Noir. That is do. Noir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is some of this in the beginning because I made note of it. Yeah. So I yeah I, I just remember that studio told him to do that. Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford did not like it, so Harrison Ford kind of hammed it up. Ah. Yeah. 
So this film had a budget of $28 million. It made domestically $32.6 million. Adjusted for today, that would be like $96.6 million. And worldwide, it made just under $40 million. So did okay, I guess. Not tremendously. It gets a 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Critics give it 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences love it a little bit more at 91%. It's just under two hours at an hour 57. It's rated R and it's listed as an action drama sci-fi. It was done by the Lad Company, Shaw Brothers and Warner Brothers. It won some BAFTAs for cinematography, best costume design and production design. It had, let's see, 10 other wins and at, with other festivals and about 19 other nominations. So it didn't win an Oscar. It did not. Was it nominated? For an Oscar? Um, it's possible. I just, um, when there's so many, yeah. I usually mark it, not so much for nominations, although sometimes I will. I don't know. You'll have to look that up, everybody. I mean, and and it, it would make sense because the, the version that they were watching was the bad one. Was the, yeah, that original <laughs> the one that we were talking release. about. And was it the, Ed, you were telling me that the original version was super green. Yeah, it was really green too. But that's weird because like the director's cut, which is not the final cut was also still a little green i don't know what ridley scott i, th- I think that's the one thing ridley scott wasn't sure he what he wanted like how the grading like the, the color he was wearing thing. very blue sunglasses <laughs> the whole time, right? oh yeah yeah all right well that should do it for our episode now please go over and listen to we are going to appear on the reshoot podcast talking about Blade Runner and so we it's going to be hard for Eduardo to do but we're going to talk about how we would make the film better so thanks guys for coming on our podcast we're so happy to have you and let's see this kicks off our month of August and look at our social media for the other films we'll be talking about guess what the theme is I think you guys will get this one it's not as hard as June but easier or hard a little bit harder than July but never forget Dodge has never stopped, and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodge has never stopped, and neither do the movies.